in, in John, and we're, we've been in chapter 4 now for a little while, and uh, talking about how he's been talking to the woman at the well, and then after he got done talking to the woman at the well, we had, uh, she went back into the town, and she told the people there in the town, and they, they, they're coming to hear from the word of the Lord, and, and, and they came, and it said that they believed because they heard the word of Jesus Christ. They heard him speak. They said, we don't just simply believe now because of what this woman and her testimony has been. Like, we believed on that originally, but now that we have heard from Jesus Christ, we believe because we've heard his word, and they invited Jesus to then stay. Um, And that's where we're picking up, here in verse 43, chapter 4, verse 43. And so let's take a look at that together, and then we will, we will progress from there. <clears throat> so it says that after two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana and Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And, and he himself believed in all of his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Listen, this is, this is an amazing story. But before we can sort of get to what I'm going to call the, the meat and potatoes of this particular sermon, we're going we're gonna to revisit a little bit of, of, again, what's happened. So going back to verse 43, right where we started here today, it says that after two days, he departed for Galilee. That's Jesus that we're talking about. He departed two days later. Remember, he showed up in Samaria. He, he talked to the woman at the well. And, and again, I'm just going to reiterate this. He could have passed through Samaria a different way. He didn't have to go that way, except that Scripture said he had to go that way. He had to. And, and it's not so much that, that Jesus went there and then he gave them some good news, like he shared his word, and it's not so much that people came and they heard what the woman said and they heard her testimony and they said, well, we believe because of your testimony. And then they, they went out and they sought Jesus and then they heard what he had to say and they said, well, now we no longer believe just because of what she said. We believe because we have heard from Jesus Christ. We believe because we have heard the word of the Lord and then we believe him to be the true Savior 
They say, please stay for two days. And he goes, sure. I'll stay for two days in a place where the Samaritans were considered unclean, unloved, and unworthy by the Jewish people. Jesus said, I'll stay for two days as if he wasn't already going to be unclean enough. He's like, I'm going to spend time with these people. I'm even going to sleep where they sleep. Can you imagine the filth that he must have been involved in? According to the Jews, that is. Like, if he was unclean for just merely passing through, what's he going to be like now that he spent two days there? Jesus didn't care. Was Jesus there to please the Jewish people? No. Wasn't there to please the Jewish people? Jesus was there for one reason and one reason only. And that was to be obedient to the Father. It's what we're called to be. We're called to be obedient to the Lord. And, and Jesus is that prime example that we've got to have. Because left of our own demise, we would have been, hey, you mean to tell me that the Samaritan people, like they're nasty? We shouldn't, we shouldn't, okay, well, I ain't spending no time there. I'm going to pass that place right on up. Why? Because we're sinful people. That's who we are. But Jesus saw it differently. Remember, Jesus went and ate with the sinners. He went and ate with the tax collectors. Jesus didn't care about what other people thought. He said, this is what's right, and this is what has to be done. And so, therefore, he had to go. And when they invite him to stay, he says, absolutely, I will stay, and I will share with you even more. And they took it in. Man, they soaked it in. It's amazing to think these people who, who, who were so lost, who were so lost in just a matter of days were changed and transformed. We can be that same type of people. Do you, do you realize that we are the Gentile people? Do you realize that, that we are the people who, who were looked down upon? That's us. We didn't deserve, like, like in, in essence, the, the Jewish people would have said, don't go to America. They're nasty, dirty people, and if you go through there, you're going to have to yell unclean constantly. And I'm here to tell you, we need to be doing that now. If you've not looked around, like we've joked, like Sean and I, we were like, we need church to say unclean now. Because the world is in such disarray. The world is not following Jesus. And without Jesus Christ, nothing's going to change. There's no hope. But because we have Jesus Christ, who has died on that cross, who did raise after three days from that grave, praise, praise, from that grave, praise God, he, the, the stone rolled away and he said, death, you've been defeated. We have hope, right? We have hope. So is the world lost today? No. Is it full of lost people? Yes. Because the Lord has overcome the world, hasn't he? He's overcome the world. The problem is, is that we exist in the world. You take us out of the equation, guess what? Everything becomes great again, doesn't it? Church would be amazing if it wasn't for the people in it. Right? Religion would be perfect. If it wasn't for the people screwing it up constantly and saying this, we got to do this way, or we got to be that way, or we got to be tradition, or we, you know, insert your own thing into the blank, right? 
But if we said, we need to follow Jesus, and we're going to be obedient to Jesus and to the things that he has called for us to do, and, and we live according to it, next thing you know, the church is okay. The church is alive and well. Religion has a purpose. Everything becomes right and righteous. The problem is we don't follow that, right? We screw it up because we're sinful people. We just are. It says there in verse 44 that, that after, right, he spent two days and then he departs to Galilee. It says in verse 44, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Jesus is going home. And this, this word for, for Jesus himself had testified, this is a key word for us to indicate Jesus is pointing out something that we need to pay attention to. Matthew 13, Mark 6, Luke 4, all of these tell this same type of situation about how going back home for Jesus was not going to be a good thing. All of them laid out. They laid out a little bit differently uh, uh, in, in, the, in the Gospels, but again, it doesn't mean that it contradicts. It just means that you've got four different writers looking at it from four different perspectives. That's all that is. This person saw it from the north, one from the east, one from the south, one from the west. Okay, that's all it is. You've got the same situation just told slightly different. But we got to hear in John early on, go back into John chapter 1, verse 11, it says that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus knew right from the get-go, the people who I grew up with, the people whom I have lived amongst are not going to receive me. These people, while we're going to see here in just a few moments, are excited about Jesus, aren't really excited for the right reasons. So it says there in verse 45, it says, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had gone as well to the feast. They had gone to, for they too had gone to the feast. We'll make sure I read it right. When he comes into Galilee, the Galileans welcome him. That sounds good, doesn't it? Here comes Jesus. He's coming home. He's being welcomed. This is great. Everything looks great on paper, doesn't it? Except these are going to be the same people who are going to turn their backs on Jesus Christ and ultimately holler, crucify him. Right? The same people. They are going to turn themselves against him they are welcoming him in right now they're excited about him coming but why what's the point why are you all excited about jesus why what has jesus done for you that you're excited about it's a really good question to ask yourself i can't answer that for you that's for you to answer but i'm going to hope that it's not for this reason I'm going to hope that it's not because of the things that you have seen Jesus do. I'm going to hope it's because you know Jesus and you know what he has done for you. See, there's a difference. Today we're, we're sort of focusing in on this idea of seeing isn't believing. 
And for these Galileans, they've seen Jesus turn water into wine, and they were impressed. They thought it was great. It's amazing. They're getting ready to witness him do something even greater. And they're going to be amazed. But is that really the right reason to be amazed? Don't get me wrong. Be amazed. Like, like, but is it, really, is it really like a good, solid, foundational relationship with Jesus? If you're just impressed with me because I can solve a Rubik's Cube, which, by the way, I can, if you were wondering. It takes me about three minutes, so I'm not fast. But, but be impressed. I can do it. But you put me up against Jude or Matt Taylor? I am as slow as Christmas. Because they can do it in seconds. Right? You can be impressed with me. You can be impressed with a lot of things. It's not a reason to follow me, is it? It's not a reason to to put your hope and your faith and your trust in me. I haven't done for you what Jesus has done. All I did was solve a Rubik's Cube. And I didn't even do that in front of you. I just told you I could do it. And you trusted me, which I really can't do it. But, but the thing is, is Jesus Christ died on a cross for you. He has done something for you that no one can ever, ever, ever do for you, and that is to forgive you of your sins so that you can have eternal life. That is a gift that nobody can ever outdo. Nobody can ever outdo that. No one can even come close to doing what Jesus Christ has done, which is to become a ransom for your sin. You deserved death for your sinfulness. It tells us that in Scripture. And he loved us even while we were still sinning, it says. He loves us even while we were still so much to the point of his own death on that cross. He loves you. And no one could ever do for you what Jesus has done. And yet here are these Galileans who are welcoming Jesus in because he turned some water into wine. They're amazed and they're just like, Woo, this is, this is good. But they don't know Jesus. You know why? Because he says, he says, prophet has no honor in his own hometown. In John chapter 2, it, he tells us Jesus didn't entrust himself to the people of his, own, of his own hometown. You know why? It says because he knew all people. He knew what was in man. How would Jesus know that? How? Because Jesus is fully man, right? But he is also fully God, which means he knows everything about you. We talked about this in a previous sermon. He knows all. You can't hide anything from him. He knows everything about you before you even think about it. You want to do something wrong? He's already trying to stop you. Trying to redirect and guide your life. If you've done something great, he's already patting you on the butt. And saying, good job. He knows everything about us. We can't hide anything from Jesus because he is fully God and he says he knows all people. He knows what was in man. Therefore, he says, I'm not trusting myself to these people of my own hometown. I'm not doing it. Because he already knows what's going to happen. What's going to happen? They're going to yell, crucify him. There's a reason that he's not entrusting himself to these people. He knows. You can't pull one over on God can't pull the wool 
over his eyes because he can see through everything. The people in his home, hometown, they just believe because of what they've seen. They don't have a relationship. We got to hear about this group of people in Samaria, this, this people who, who believed originally based on a testimony of the woman from the well. But, but what eventually happened? They came, they sought after Jesus because they said, come and see a man who told me everything that I've ever done, right? And they were impressed. They were like, that is great. That's, that's amazing. We want to go see this guy, don't we? But then something happened. Something different happened. It says that they heard his word, and then they believed. Have you heard the words of Jesus? Have you heard the words of Jesus? Have you read the gospel of Jesus Christ, and have you believed because of it? I'll never forget the time reading this and having the words jump off the page and just literally smack me in the face. I said, wake up, man. You don't know truth. You don't know Jesus. You don't know what he's done for you because you don't know him. And reading his word, hearing his word, when spoken aloud, changed me. I know that it's changed some of you in this room. I know for a fact it's changed tons of lives, tons of people who have come to know Jesus Christ, to confess their Christianity and believing in Him, His birth, His death, His resurrection. It's exactly what happened there at the, in, in John, right there around verse 42. They said, It is no longer because of what you said, speaking of the woman at the well, that we believe, for we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen? Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and He's about to do something even more amazing than just turning water into wine. Because that was awesome, right? That was amazing. Like, you go to, you go to some wedding and somebody says, look, we've run out of wine, and some guy walks in and he turns water into wine. Like, you're going to talk about that for a while. But he's about to do something even more amazing. And we're getting ready to be introduced now to someone new. It says in verse 46, He came again in Cana and Galilee where he had made the water into wine. At Capernaum, uh, there was this official now whose son was ill. We're getting ready to, to run into this story. Scholars say that this is uh, likely he's a Gentile centurion. So again, Gentile person. He's lost. People think he's nasty, dirty, defiled. He's not one that really the Jewish people want to want to look at and, and have anything to do with. But there he is. He's, here's this guy, and his, and his child is ill. His son is ill. And this man, it says in verse 47, this man comes and he says he had heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, and he goes and he and he wants to ask him to come down and to heal his son, for he, his son was at the point of death. It's not just that his son is sick. It's his son is going to die. At this point, this man is desperate. His child, he feels like has no hope. 
This man is desperate. He is a father who wants his child to live. He's desperately seeking after a way to make this happen. So what does he do? He goes and he asks for Jesus to come. Out of desperation, he is willing to surrender everything to Jesus. Oftentimes, what we find in Christianity is that that sometimes people won't come to Jesus until they have hit a certain point in their life. We like to call it the bottom of the well, where they have no place to go any further than to look up and proclaim Jesus. Isn't that sad? That we have to wait until we are at such a point of desperation to reach out to the man who is, who is just ready and willing to give you life. And yet we wait until we're in the absolute pit of despair to proclaim his name. The man comes, he's desperate, he's a father, he wants his son to live. Look how Jesus responds to him. Jesus, verse 48, he says, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Kind of sounds like, what the Galileans welcomed him with, doesn't it? He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Here's the thing, Jesus isn't just talking to this official. He's actually talking to everybody within earshot. He's saying, you all aren't going to believe unless you see something amazing. Isn't that how we operate oftentimes? Isn't that what we do? It's crazy to me, after reading God's word, that people don't just seek after him. Like, I, I mean, I just, I don't get it sometimes. I don't get it. But it's because the Holy Spirit has to intercede, doesn't he? We've got to trust in the Holy Spirit to move. I didn't know the Lord for a long time. A lot of years. And he finally saw fit to kick me in the rear end. Literally. He said, son, we got some business to do. We got some things that we need to tend to and you're late to the party. It's time to get busy. That's what's happened for me ever since. Years now. You see, Jesus is saying, It's not just enough for you to see and believe. It's not enough. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Does that not sound like a cry of desperation? Jesus is saying, you're not going to believe in anything unless you see it for yourself. And he says, Jesus, please just come. I'm making a desperate plea for you to come and to save my child. He is going to die. Would you not do the same thing? Would you not, if you knew that Jesus could make a difference, would you not beg and plead for him to intercede? Yet, Jesus responds this way. When the guy, when the official, when he comes to him again and he says, Sir, please, Jesus looks at him and he says, Go. 
your son will live. This is like a test. It's really, it's like a test. Jesus says, go, your son will live. What did the guy ask? What did this official centurion, what did he ask? He said, sir, come so that my child won't die. I need you to come with me. Jesus said, go, your child will live. That's not what he wanted, was it? That's not what he asked for. Isn't that oftentimes what we find ourselves facing where we cry out to the Lord and we say, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I need. I need this right now. And Jesus goes, go. And we kind of look at him like, what? What do you mean go? I'm asking you to come with me. And he says, go. We don't understand. But do we respond like this gentleman does? Did you know what he did? He went. This man, when Jesus said, go, your son will live, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went away. He believed. Did he see Jesus do anything? No. He didn't see Jesus do anything. Jesus said, go. And the the man said, okay. And he left. At this point, he doesn't know if anything has happened. He doesn't know if his son is alive or dead. He doesn't know anything. All he knows is that he heard Jesus Christ say, go, your son will live. And it says that he believed that word. A lot of what we have talked about in these first four chapters, oftentimes you have heard me say, do you believe? Do you believe? Same question applies today. Do you believe when when Jesus reveals something to you? Do you believe that, that he is truth? Do you believe that his way is right? Even if you can't see it with your own eyes. Do you believe it? This man trusted Jesus so much that when Jesus said, Go, your son will live, he just went. He departed. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Do you have that kind of faith? Because that takes faith. And that is faith from a man who was lost prior to talking to Jesus. Do you see how fast this man has just turned around? In a moment's notice, this man can change your life. Jesus can change your life like that he speaks words into existence he speaks things into existence this man was desperate for his son to live right that's what it said he doesn't want his son to die he was begging and pleading jesus please just come my son my child is going to die you know who else faces that every single day? God. He has, as far as we're concerned, right? Children as numerous as the stars and the sands on the seashore, right? Billions of people all around the world, and he's looking at each one of his children and going, this one is going to live, but that one is going to die. 
Jesus is faced with that every day. The Lord looks out amongst His creation and says, my children are going to die. And God said, I need to fix that. I need to supply a way. And so God looked at His Son and He said, go. Be the ransom that they need. No father wants to watch his child die. And now there's people in this room who have suffered greatly in this way. My heart just bleeds for you because I don't know what that's like. But God does. God knows the hurt. He knows the angst. He knows knows everything about the loss of a child. The same way that this man did not want his child to die, the Lord didn't want it either. And therefore, he sent his son to die in our place. To hang on a cross. To shed his blood. And to offer forgiveness for each of us who were condemned to death because of the sin of our lives. We deserve death. But God made a way. God is desperate for his children to come to know him. God is desperate for that to happen, so much so that it says that he is patiently waiting for as many as possible because he doesn't want anyone to perish, right? He doesn't want anyone to perish, and so that's the reason that Jesus hasn't come back today. And every day that we have going forward is a blessing. It is a hope. It is a chance that the lost that in this, in this world will come to know who he is will surrender their lives to Jesus, will confess Him as Lord and Savior because He is the way, the truth, and the life. The question is, is do we believe it? Do we believe that that's who Jesus is? Do we believe that He can do what He says that He can do because He speaks the words and He says, go? Do we trust that? Do we trust Him when He says, go? Do we believe? Seeing is not believing. Hearing the word of God and allowing him to change us from the inside out, that's believing. That is faith. That is hope. And the love that Jesus Christ has for us can change us and transform us that way. In John chapter 20, we'll get there eventually one day. We're only in chapter 4 now, but in John chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus says to him, Have you believed Talking to to Thomas, he says, do you believe because you have seen me? Do you believe because you have seen me? He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That was the scripture that Sierra read. She read it last week, she read it again this week. You know why? Because it still applies. It still applies. Have you believed because you've seen me or do you believe because of what you know and what you've heard? Is what I've imparted to your heart. He says, Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Believing is hearing the word of the Lord and then responding. I want you to notice this too. The official, he sought this truth and this proof. 
says in verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him and they told him that his son was recovering. At this point, we're all like, praise God, right? His son is doing well. He's recovering. So he asked the people, his servants who had come, he said, what hour did my son begin to get better? The man was curious, right? He heard the word of Jesus say, go, your son will live. And this man wants to now know, what time did my son start getting better? His brain is already working. His heart already knows the answer. He wouldn't have asked the question otherwise, but he asks the question, what hour did my son begin to get better? And they said to him, yesterday, the seventh hour. They're excited. His son's going to live. But when he heard that, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father, it says, knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Do you see that this man was just, he was just given proof that when Jesus speaks the words, they happen. That it's truth. That it matters. Jesus can change our lives like that. And he has just done so for this man, for his son. He asked, at what time did this happen? That my son began to get better. And it was the same time that Jesus said, your son will live. That's amazing. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. We put our faith and our trust in a lot of things. We put our faith and our trust in doctors. We put our faith and our trust in, in other people, in our employers and our friends and, and just countless numbers of people. We put our faith and our hope, even our dreams at time, in people around us. Yet, there's the Lord who can speak anything into existence. Created the entire world with just His breath. And we oftentimes don't seek after him. The one who can completely change our lives. Who can change the course and direction of things that are happening. Now understand, I'm not standing here saying that, oh, you're going to reach out to the Lord and, and he's going to answer all of your prayers and every time you ask him something, it's going to be fine and hunky-dory. God's got this grand master plan that we don't understand sometimes. He's mysterious that way. We don't always get what we want. We'll always have what we need, but we will not always get what we want because God has a plan. And sometimes that plan are things that we struggle with. We can't sometimes decipher what it is that is supposed to come from this, from this situation that we're facing. Yet, what we have to do is be obedient and rely upon His Word that it is truth and that it is righteous. And that he leads us to places that are good and for our good. It's hard sometimes to accept those things. It is. It's just, it's difficult. The last verse of that just says that he himself believed. This official, he himself believed. All of his household believes because of what Jesus has done. 
says this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. I just want us to, as we wrap up, just really focus in and understand that seeing isn't believing. If you're waiting for Jesus to show up and do something right in front of your face, when he comes again, you need to already be ready. You're not going to be looking for him to do some sort of a miracle so that you can believe. You need to believe already. Because when he comes again, it's going to be a whole different situation. Read about that in Revelation if you're not sure about it. You need to belong to Jesus when he comes. You need to belong to Jesus. Don't wait. Don't waste another day. You're hearing the word of Jesus. You're, 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 like, we're being told about these amazing things that he can do, but, but it seems not believing. Believing is faith and trust in Jesus. That's believing. It is faith and hope and trust of the the love that he has for us. The sacrifice that he made for us. The the death, the birth, I'm sorry, the birth, the death, and resurrection on the cross. You believe those things, you will be saved. You confess yourself to Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness. You will be saved. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Anything else, anything less, you need to check yourself. Believing is faith and trust in Jesus. And he tells us, he says, blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Remember, we're going to see Jesus one day. He is going to come back. He's coming back. Scripture tells us that. You need to be ready when he does. That's not the time to say, hey, Jesus, can I ask you a couple of questions? Because things are going to be happening at that moment. You're not going to have time to ask. Come talk to me if you want to know more about that. If you're not sure. If you're in a place where you're questioning things about, about why do I really need Jesus, come and talk to me. More than happy to share that information with you. More than happy to share with you the Romans road about about what it means to profess faith. Don't let another day go by if you aren't sure if you're right with the Lord because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. This man was not guaranteed that his child was going to live. He he reached out to the Lord and he said, please. He begged of him and the Lord responded. And in this case, in a way that his child lived. But it said that this man believed before he knew the result. Do you see that? This man believed. He, he heard Jesus say, go, your son will live. And he believed right then, right there. He didn't say, well, I'll believe when I get to where my child is and I see the result. He said, I believe. And so he left. He put his faith and his trust And Jesus Christ, and I'm telling you, that's what you have to do today. You have to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, believing in him today, not waiting on the result that's on the other side. 
Because then that's too late. Don't wait for what you can see. Hear from Jesus and believe. Hear from him and believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today. Lord, you know the heart of those here. Lord, you know the trials and the struggles that, that, that are faced. Lord, you know everything. We've established that we can't hide from you. We've established that, that you are amazing, that we need your grace. God, help us in our unbelieving hearts. Help us to increase in our faith. Help us to increase in our trust in you. Help us to surrender ourselves to you, believing in you and your word, not because of what we have seen you do, but because of what we know about you and what you have done for us. Help us to confess ourselves to you. Even if we're in a place, Lord, where we are still unsure, maybe we're on a path that, Lord, we go, I don't, I'm just not completely sure. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to take a step in faith. Lead us and guide us along this path. Help us to surrender to you. To cast away the, the, the ways of the world, what the enemy wants to come and say, this isn't right, this isn't truth, this isn't okay. You're going to be embarrassed. You're going you're to struggle. This is going to be hard. People are going to turn their backs on you. Whatever it is that the enemy wants to, to approach us with, Lord, quiet that voice. Help us to, to turn away from the world and face you, knowing that you are there ready to receive us with open arms. That these doors are not just open for the saved and for the Christian alike, but instead, Lord, these doors are opened to all your people to receive you. Help us to not believe because of what we see. Help us to believe because of the word that you have spoken to our heart. Help us to trust you more. Call us to you. Call us to you, Jesus. We thank you. We ask this all in your most holy and precious name. Amen.